Surprisingly, there is a danger in not loving your enemy. Pastor Ed Taylor explains. Do not be overcome by evil. That's the immediate danger of not loving enemies is that you and I will be overcome by evil. We'll become just as or more evil than they. Don't be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with good. I'll tell you, if you've ever experienced people treating you badly, it almost always feels like evil is going to overcome you. It almost always gets the worst of you. This is amazing grace. One of the more challenging teachings of Jesus is to love your enemy, but it's given for good reason. It's not just for the benefit of your enemy, it benefits you as well. Hello and welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor of Calvary Church, Colorado. We've been making our way through 2 Kings. Last time together, we began to consider how God's people are to respond to their enemies. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we were reminded of the problem in the battle against evil that we're too often ill-equipped to handle. To help remedy that and assure we respond as God's people should, we turn to what Jesus taught in the Gospel of Matthew. Here's Pastor Ed in chapter 5, verse 43. We often think of ourselves in our best moment, but we remember other people in their worst moments. And that's just not the heart of God. He sees His Son in us, His righteousness covering us. And it's simply not fair and it's not godly to hold other people to standards that we don't even hold to ourselves instead of just submitting ourselves to the standard of Jesus Christ and admitting our failures and our weaknesses and our sins and the impossibilities in our lives and just cast ourselves down at the feet of Jesus and say, do what you can with me because I'm not able to do anything on my own. Because if it was up to me, I would have taken my enemies out a long time ago. But God knows something that we don't and that's the power of love. Now, of course, we're learning the power of love. Every time we respond in love, God blesses us and we learn the value and the power of love. But God understands love in its totality. And as he goes on to teach us in verse 45, as we do these things, love, bless, do good, pray. He says in verse 45 that you might be sons of your father. These are, these are family signs. These are the things that mark your family, just like in your own family. There are just distinctives in your family that make your family different than my family. We, we have distinctions in my family. You know, some of the things that are the same is you have a family, I have a family. But there are marks of your family that are different. There are marks maybe facially, maybe the accent that you speak, maybe the language that you speak, may, maybe the foods that you like that make you distinctive. And what we're reading here are the distinctives of the family of God. The family of God loves when it's expected to destroy the family of, of God responds in grace when what is expected is to respond in judgment. Why? Because God has poured out his grace in us. He has set the bar and set the tone. And so these are things that show that we're sons of the Father, that we're truly his kids. He says, because he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. 
if you love those that love you, what reward is that? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? When he's referring to tax collectors, it was a, a phrase in that day that referred to those that were not living in the covenant of God. They were living outside of the covenant. They were religious, you could say. But they really, their lives, they said they followed God, but their lives really didn't. You know, tax collectors, they were just basically thieves. They worked for the Roman government. They collected taxes, but were also given freedom to take as much as they could while they were collecting. And they would take the tax that was owed to Rome and give that to Rome, but they would keep the rest. So you know what they were? Millionaires. They were very successful, stealing from their own people. And he says, don't even the, don't even the sinners, isn't that what they do? They hang out with the people that they like. They love the people that love them. He says, therefore, verse 48, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that really sums it up, doesn't it? For those of you that were kind of tracking along and going, you know, I think I can love and I think I can forgive and, and I think I can do it. Jesus says, just in case you think you can, I want you to know the bar is not just love, it's perfection. And kingdom living reveals to all of us that none of us can live a perfect life. There isn't one among us that has ever lived a perfect life. We're all failures. We've all failed. We've all stumbled. I mean, some of you failed even before you got out of bed this morning. You woke up and the first thought was some sinful thing and you're like, whoa, I'm not even out of bed yet. And I'm battling with the flesh. And you repented, you got up, brushed your teeth, you had another bad thought. I mean, all day you were just all messed up in your head. And so just today disqualifies you from being perfect. And the point that Jesus is making is that what, what he is requiring from us can only be given to us by him. The love that you have for those that love you, that's kind of your love. Of course, you love and like them. But the ones that are actively hostile and opposed to you, man, those are the ones that really require a surrender to God. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. Let me give you another. Romans chapter 12. Now, Paul picks up on this same theme. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. And he inspired Matthew to give us these words of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, he inspired Paul the Apostle to write to us this insight in Romans chapter 12. Pick up with me in verse 17, would you? Romans chapter 12, verse 17. So what's happening with Elisha? Remember, Elisha, he leads the guys to the king of Israel, the enemies of God, and the king of Israel. What am I supposed to do? Kill them? Elisha said, no, feed them. Take care of them. Serve them. Notice verse 17 now of Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. That's the wrath of God. Give God room to work. Give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy's hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I like that one. Do not be overcome by evil. That's the immediate danger of not loving enemies is that you and I will be overcome by evil will become just as or more evil than they. Don't be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with good. I'll tell you, if you've ever experienced people treating you badly, 
it almost always feels like evil is going to overcome you. It almost always gets the worst of you. It almost always inspires these thoughts that you don't really want, that you didn't ask for. There's a constant battle, a continual battle. The ex that keeps taking you to court, using the kids against you in that divorce, lying on the stand. Your parents don't love Jesus. Your kids are trying to use things against you, holding back the kids or the grandkids from you over and over and over. Bless, don't let evil overcome you. Respond with good. It's been said that evil triumphs, but it never conquers. Is there an amen to that? Evil triumphs. There seems to be these little skirmishes and these little battles, but it will not overcome because when the response is something good and it's the agape love of God, it will not conquer you. It will not conquer you. In order for evil to conquer you, you have to cooperate with it. And you have to try to meet it head on. That's not what the Bible teaches. You have heard it said, you can love your neighbor and hate your enemy. No, no, I tell you, love them. Jesus has conquered evil once and for all. And the safest place on the planet earth today is to be hidden and abiding in Jesus Christ. And to really just allow God to protect you. And allow God to bring about truth and vengeance and all. Let him deal with that. At the end of the Gospel of John, remember, as that person was asking, what about him? And what did Jesus say? Hey, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, of course, with evil and stuff, if you hear, what is that to you? You're like, eh, you don't understand God. No, God does understand. And it's your life that he cares about because you're the one speaking to him and you're the one praying to him and you're the one in Bible study and you're the one that wants to do the right thing and you're the one that wants to live in forgiveness and you're the one that doesn't want to be bitter and you're the one that wants to make a difference in this world for Jesus. That's why God is giving you the attention and telling you, hey, overcome evil with good. When evil comes into our lives, we're to bless those that persecute us. Notice back in verse 14, Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your, your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And then we get to 17 again. Repay no one evil for evil. So here's a list that we see in this, in this section of what do we do when evil comes into our lives. Number one, we bless those who persecute us. Number two, we bless and do not curse. Number three, we repay no one evil for evil. Number four, if it's at all possible, live peaceably with everyone. Number five, do not avenge yourself. Number six, give place to God's wrath. Number seven, if your enemy happens to be hungry, feed him. Number eight, if your enemy's thirsty, give him a drink. And then finally, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Be a blessing to them. Don't take things into your own hands. Go the extra mile in helping when there's opportunity. And this is all throughout the scriptures, just a couple places. Come back now in 2 Kings, because that's exactly what's happening here in a different context. In 2 Kings 6, feed them, take care of them. And notice, pick up in verse, at the end of verse 23, so the bands of the Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. So this small group of this army, these chariots, they never did come back. They never were an issue. Now, of course, in verse 24, it happened after this, that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all of his army 
and went up and besieged Samaria. So this is some time later. So now they're being attacked with a different group. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a pint of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. That's a serious famine. <laughs> uh, we don't understand famine in our culture today, but this is an absolute loss of food and water to the point of starvation. And so what is happening here? Donkey's heads are sold for an amazing amount of money, and so is a little pint of dove poop. It's a very difficult time. Verse 26. Then as the king of Israel was passing on by the wall, a woman cried out to him, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give me your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we might eat him. And she has hidden her son. I mean, this is a bad time in the nation of Israel where they have now resulted, the famine is so bad, they're so distant from God that they've begun to start to cannibalize each other, sacrificing their own children. And yet, jot it down in Leviticus chapter 26. Sometimes we wonder, maybe you have the question of why do we study through the whole Bible? Because the Bible explains the Bible. The best commentary and the best place to get your Bible questions answered is the Bible. And so jot this down. I'll read it to you in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 27. God is speaking. After all of this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I'll also walk contrary to you in a fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Check this out. Verse 29 says, You shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. He's predicting that the nation of Israel, when they rebel against them, are going to be so bad that they're going to resort to cannibalism. And you say, did that ever happen? Second Kings chapter 6 is one example. The king tore his clothes in great brokenness. Verse 30, notice. Now it happened when the king heard the words of this woman that he tore his clothes, and he passed by on the wall, and the people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. And then he said, God, do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. <laughs> so how do we know that the king isn't listening or following God? Because he blames Elisha. And Elisha is who? The man of God. Friends, don't be surprised when you're obeying God that someone's going to blame you for their own personal difficulties. They're going to blame you. And something's going to come towards you. There they are in their own life and dealing with the issues of their life. And there you are, obeying God and enjoying God and walking with God. And then what happens? This guy is so far from God that he blames Elisha for this. This is all Elisha's fault. We need to take him down. But Elisha, notice, was sitting in verse 32 in his house. And the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, I, I love this. Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door. Hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of my master's feet behind him? Now, we get to do this a little bit for those of you that bought the ring doorbell. Anybody have the ring doorbell where somebody comes and pushes a button and the camera turns on and you can see who's at the door? And you can see if it's a UPS guy or it's some solicitor. Like, you can see through your door if you have a camera there. Elisha could see through the door with the eyes of God. 
He totally called this out. They didn't open the door. They didn't have a ring camera there. God gave them insight and told them to hold on. And these guys trusted Elisha so much, they did what he said. And he calls them out. Here's the king blaming God and his people for the tragedy, going after Elisha. And just like Jezebel had threatened Elijah, now this king Jehoram is threatening Elisha. And they send someone there in verse 33 while he was still talking with them. There was the messenger coming down to him. And then he said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And here's another example, an instance of Elisha being given insight on what's happening in the spiritual realm. And it's so encouraging because I found myself many, many times asking God to give me insight in the spiritual realm because what's before me or what's before you makes no human sense. And even if it did make sense or you could try to figure it out, you still want to know what's happening in the spiritual realm. You still, we still want to know what's going on in the spiritual realm because with this insight, so if you find yourself praying for God to reveal things in the spiritual realm to you for, for insight of what's going on in a, in a situation, for insight of what's going on in a family situation, in insight what's going on in a church situation, what's happening at work, why is all this chaos happening, why is all this stuff, and you're beginning to pray for insight, it's comforting to know that God knows all the details surrounding your life. That's why you're praying. It's not because you're curious. It's not because you want to doubt. It's because, God, what's happening in my life? I'm encouraged that God knows what's happening in my life. He knows the beginning from the end. While I'm learning what's happening moment by moment, I know the God that knows. And so do you. We know the God that knows. And he knows what's happening behind the scenes. And you can ask him to open your eyes. And you can ask him to reveal. And you can ask him to show you what's happening. And watch as you're abiding in him, bearing fruit, trusting him, running your race. God will show himself faithful. And he'll reveal to you what he wants to reveal to you. Even as we see this in the life of Elisha. One more thing. I don't want to find myself in the shoes of this king, and I'm sure you don't either. Just leading and guiding God's people by the seat of his pants, shooting from the hip. He's so quick to blame Elisha, so quick to blame God for the calamities that they're facing, and, and we don't see an instance of him asking God. We don't have an instance of him crying out to God. Yeah, he's upset for certain, as I think you and I would, as he sees the destructive cannibalism happening. Of course, it's just disgusting. But he's not brokenhearted enough to cry out to God. As we've learned in other studies, there's a difference between godly sorrow and human sorrow. There's a difference between true godly repentance and just feeling sorry that you got caught and just being mad and upset that the consequences have caught up to you. Because human sorrow will lead to your own personal destruction where godly sorrow leads to repentance and life change. And godly sorrow, the problem is, is a lot of times they kind of feel the same. And you'll know the difference between godly sorrow and human sorrow if there's a change after you've repented. Because if there's a change, then you truly did repent. If there's not a change, then that's not repentance. And godly sorrow thinks more of being brokenhearted toward what you've done toward God and others. 
Human sorrow thinks more of your own personal problem. Oh, I got caught. Oh, I'm in trouble. Oh, what's going to happen now? Oh, and it's all about me. That's, God, that's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow says, you want to see a good example of godly sorrow? Psalm 51 is David's psalm of repentance. Psalm 51, 5, 1. And David just says, I have sinned against you, God. That was his first thought. I've sinned against you. I've broken your heart. I've broken your covenant. And I want to get right with you. So God's word to us tonight, love your enemies. Pray for them that are persecuting and spitefully using you. It'll release you from bitterness and anger and keep you lean and keep you ready to run your race with joy, right? Because you only get to run one, one race. And you're not running my race and I'm not running your race. We only get to run one race. But the good news is, is that we're all on the same track. And we get to run this race in the Lord. But we all have our place. And we all have our calling. And we all have our commitment to the Lord. And so maybe the Lord is just speaking to you tonight as you remember that it's His heart for you to love your enemies. Good encouragement, Pastor Ed Taylor concludes with on today's Abounding Grace to run your race, reflecting the heart of God, even to your enemies. To hear today's message again, go to calvaryaurora.org. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word to stations like this every day, but we can't do it alone. We're very thankful for the listeners that come alongside us with financial and or prayerful support. And if you'd like to help us reach people with the love and truth of Christ, please visit calvaryaurora.org or call 877-30-GRACE. And as you give $25 or more today, we'll say thanks by sending you Married and How to Stay That Way by Steve Carr. Whether you're on the brink of divorce, not happy with the way things are going in your marriage, or looking for some tools to help take your relationship to the next level, this book is a must-read. It's written in a counseling style with practical encouragement. And there are group discussion questions at the end of each chapter, so this would work well in a small group Bible study. Call 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org on the web to make a secure donation. Pastor Ed with me now in studio, and Ed, all week long, we're sharing some of the great feedback that has come in recently, which we're really grateful to the Lord about. What do you have to share with us today? You know, Larry, I've got a great piece of feedback today from a listener, but before I read it, I want to let everyone know, if you're listening to Abounding Grace somewhere else in the country and not in Colorado, it airs locally here in Colorado on a radio station that we've called Grace FM. So some of the feedback we get is connected through our radio teaching ministry, Abounding Grace, and this particular listener was listening on Grace FM, just like you're listening on your Christian radio, and there are other teachers that are encouraging them as well. But this listener connected to us through Grace FM, and here's what they have to say. Just wanted to let you know how much I enjoy listening to you and how much I've learned since I discovered your station over the internet. I listen to it at work every day as much as I can, and I've truly learned so much. I feel like I've grown deeper in my faith and have gained great wisdom. Hearing the Bible explained like you all do is so awesome. It's really blessed me, and I've told several people about your station. I was told about your station by my son who lives in Colorado Springs. My son has been in trouble with the law for many times and has been in prison more than once because of his drug use and things he did during those times. 
He always does well for a while and goes back to the same lifestyle. However, a few years ago, he turned back to God and he began to lead Bible studies and prayer circles with other inmates. And he began to listen to Grace FM every day, especially Pastor Ed's studies. He's experienced God's mercy during his sentencing and received mercy from the judge. He has his ups and downs, but is pressing on. Thank you again for all that you do for your station and also for Abounding Grace Radio. And we just want to say you're welcome. We're, I always think when I'm teaching of those that are listening to our Bible studies outside the four walls of our building, and you very much are a part of Calvary Church here in Aurora because you're a part of the Abounding Grace family. And whether it's on another radio station, you know, in Albuquerque or Miami or, or Virginia or Maryland or Massachusetts or California, wherever you might be hearing this around the country, your family. And we count it a joy and honor to be a small part of the big work that God is doing in your life. It's listener letters and emails like this that really brighten our day. And we'd like to hear from you, too, so we can thank the Lord for what he's doing. Email us at info at calvaryaurora.org. We'll get right back into Second Kings tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.